Well, good evening. Uh, lovely to see you all. I've got a handful of books here. I'll talk about them later. Um, this is a great day, isn't it? Easter Sunday. But every Sunday, every day is a resurrection day, isn't it? Because Jesus is alive every day. And that's the wonder of the resurrection. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, maybe. This is uh, my favourite city, which, apart from Newcastle, um, is Timisoara in Romania. That's the opera square, that's the opera house. And on the balcony there, the dictator Ceausescu used to lambast the crowds that were rounded up to listen to him. And uh, they tell me that they used to tell jokes together about Ceausescu while he was shouting at them and so on. Um, and then the next picture is the Metropolitan Cathedral of the Roman Orthodox Church, and it's at the other end of that square. So you have the Opera House with Ceausescu at one end and the church at the other end. And you know, Ceausescu hated that church there, and he had plans to actually build a block of flats or a block of shop offices in front of the church so that he wouldn't have to look at it. Um, but between the two buildings in 1989 stood a large crowd that dared to shout down Ceausescu and uh, Peter Dugulescu, someone I got to know and a great man of God, a Baptist pastor, he called the people to get on their knees and pray the Lord's Prayer. Romanian it's Tatl Nostru, Cariesti and Cerul. And before long Ceausescu's rule came to an end. Your kingdom come. And God's kingdom is powerful. In 1991, just after the revolution, I was there for Easter. And on Easter Eve, at, uh, well, you, uh, the, the cathedral is packed with people. You couldn't get in unless you got there about six o'clock. And the service ends with the church uh, being put into darkness at midnight, symbolizing Christ's death. And then the metropolitan bishop comes out of the church and he lights a candle and he raises it and he shouts, Christos, I'm Viat. And 100,000 people there all shout it back, Adivarat, I'm Viat. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. In Romanian, it's truly he is risen, it's true. And it was a wonderful thing to be there and to hear that shout from 100,000 people. The Easter message is about a wonderful conquering saviour who's victor over sin and death and Satan. And it's good news to be shared. And do you know, in Romania, uh, I was there later on about, must have been about five or six weeks later, and I was walking, I'd been preach, preaching in one of the village churches I go to, and I was walking down the road just having a bit of a wander and an old lady was walking on the other side and she shouted over to me, Christos a enviat. And I responded, Adivarat a enviat. That was the greeting right up until Pentecost. Uh, then, I don't know whether they still do it now, but certainly in the villages, that was the greeting that you gave one another, reminding one another that this Jesus is still with us. And it made me think, you know, just being there with that 100,000 to them with that one lady, can you imagine 100,000 people in Newcastle shouting, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed? I, I love to pray about that, you know, that, well, 
Timisoara is about 307,000 people. Uh, Newcastle is a lot more, about 814,000, of course, latest figure. Um, so we would have to imagine about 200,000 people. We'd have to be on the town more, wouldn't we? Shouting, Christ is risen over the city. He is risen indeed. How did 12 peasant fishermen and a few tax collectors and farmers, how in the world did they multiply 12 followers of Jesus to 2.5 billion Christians today on planet Earth? The answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. The reason Christianity spread is because Jesus' life and death and resurrection is such good news for every single person. So I want to read just some verses from 1 Corinthians 15. And I'll pass a few comments on them, but I feel God wants me to say something a little different maybe. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, and this is a great chapter on the resurrection. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Notice that. This gospel's good news. It's been proclaimed. It's got to be received because it's a gift. And then we've got to take our stand on it. And by which you are being saved. It's being saved. I was saved. I'm being saved. And one day I will be saved. Past, present, and future. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, that's to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul doesn't mention the woman who witnessed the resurrection because it wouldn't have backed up his case in that time because the witness of woman didn't count for much. Um, but some, some translations now translate it as followers uh, rather than women. Um, then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. I just think, where's Paul? Just what happened to him? Well, we know this risen Jesus met with him and transformed him. I could say a lot about that chapter. Paul says it's the gospel of first importance. And I think, you know, chapters 12 to 14 in 1 Corinthians is focused on the gifts of the Spirit. And I think Paul's saying, well, I've taught them all about the gifts of the Spirit. They love that. And we love the gifts of the Spirit. And we're eager to prophesy and so on. But Paul says, but I want to just focus again on the giver. I want to focus on the giver, on the one who is to be our main focus, Jesus. Because it is a tr the truth about a person, the gospel we believe about Jesus, 
And it is true, and Paul wants us to be confident in that truth. And because, you know, every age tries to pervert the gospel truth about Jesus. I think it was Niebuhr, a theologian, who wrote of today's liberal Christianity, where many churches are proclaiming that, as he says, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. And you could add to that, and without a resurrection. A message of simple ethical love and hope. But that could never have transformed a pole, or you or me. Impossible. Much less than turn the Roman Empire upside down and result in two and a half billion followers of Jesus today. It just can't happen without a cross and a resurrection and a Pentecost. And because Paul did not compose this, he, say, he says it's, he received it. He didn't compose it. He didn't make it up. And you know, there are phrases in this passage like according to scripture on the third day, reference to the 12. Those were terms that Paul didn't use anywhere else. And, and an eminent uh, scholar, James Dunn, he says that we can be entirely confident that this is a true summary that was formulated probably within months of Jesus' death and resurrection. Amazing. It's there, it's truth. And he says it's received and passed on. Just think about it for a moment. Just think about it. A disciple of Jesus passed that good news on to someone. They passed it on to someone else. They passed it on to someone else. Down through the centuries, until someone passed it to you. That's the apostolic succession, by the way. <laughs> um, it's come right down through history to touch your life and mine. Are you passing the message on? Are you passing the good news on? Do the kids play pass the parcel at parties still? Do you remember that game, pass the parcel, where the parcel went around the circle and you waited until the music stopped and if you had it when it stopped, you got opening it and get, got the chocolate or whatever. Well, you know, after it had gone around once, you began to think, oh, it's going to stop, any, the music's going to stop any time now. So when the parcel came to you or me, I remember, I would go very slowly to pass it to the next person because I wanted the goodies. And I was thinking about, you know, are we slow to pass the gospel on because we just want to enjoy this faith that we have and, yeah, live in it and, yeah, it's just me and Jesus. You know, sometimes we say of someone who's died, he's passed away. We'll never say that of the gospel. It will never pass away. It will be celebrated to the end of time, and then the celebrations will continue for all eternity. It's already begun around the throne today. Read Revelation. It's already begun, and we'll join in that. Received and passed on. Christ died for our sins. Christianity tells you what Christ does for you. The founders of every other religion in the world will tell you what you must do. It's a do-it-yourself religion. We can try a do-it-yourself religion. We can try to master sin. We can try to live in our own strength. We can try to overcome our weaknesses and so on. But we will fail always. And we will always be miserable. You know, sin is often its own punishment because it messes your life up and it messes the lives of others. 
But the good news is that Jesus did what we could never do. He took the sin of the world upon himself. What is this good news? You know, when I go into Asda to, do, to buy some food, I go to the self-payment checkout. And when I make my payment, the screen says, do you want a receipt, yes or no? And I always say yes. Do you? Because I worry, what if that guy sitting at the door looking at his little screen thinks I've not paid? What, 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 what would happen then? And what if my payment card doesn't pay, the card payment doesn't show up? What would people think if I'm marched off by the security guy? And what would one of you say if you saw me? And I can picture myself pulling my hood over my head and walking away in shame. Stupid, isn't it? But I always get a receipt and I know I can whiff it out and say, look, this proves that I've paid, that it's been paid. And that's what Jesus has done. In the resurrection, God stumped paid in full across history and across your life if you've received Jesus and his forgiveness. The resurrection is God's assurance that the debt of sin has been paid. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Which means that because Christ is raised, you're not in your sins anymore. Good, yeah, it's brilliant. And then he was, says he was buried. That's very important in Paul's time because people at Corinth, a lot of them believed in life after death, but not life after death in the same body or in a body at all. They just believed in some kind of continuing existence of the soul after death, but no body. And you know, today many people believe that same sort of thing. I've heard people saying, I, when someone is, you know, a loved one has died, I can still feel him around me. Uh, she's watching over me all the time. And, you know, for me, the idea that someone who has died is floating around watching them, how awful to be this invisible, powerless presence, able to hear what their family really thought about them, or to watch them making awful mistakes that lead to disaster and not be able to communicate with, any, with them or to help them. That's more like hell than like heaven to me. And Paul emphasizes that Jesus was buried because he was really dead. There was no pulse, no heartbeat. He was dead and buried because he wanted them to know that the resurrection was about a body that was dead that came to life. A resurrected body. And he was raised on the third day according to scripture. You'll find pictures and prophecies of Jesus' resurrection in every book of the Old Testament. Look at Psalm 16. You'll find Peter quoted it on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 in his sermon. You know, by the way, do you know... No, I'll come back to that later. Um, look at Hosea 6. Um, <laughs> Hosea 6, 1 and 2, written 700 years ago, and you'll discover it speaks of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Isaiah 53, we all know, 400 years before Jesus uh, came on earth, and it speaks of the resurrection. The resurrection proves the reliability of Scripture and vice versa. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared. I just, do you read that list? He appeared. He appeared to. He appeared to. He appeared to. There are literally hundreds of collaborating witnesses. Paul gives the list of names, most of whom, he says, are still alive. There's the evidence, he says. They're still alive. Go and talk to them. 
Are you convinced of the resurrection? What does it mean for you? Have you received Jesus and his forgiveness? Are you living in the blessings of the resurrection? I started making a list, and I was going to take you through it, but it's not finished yet. <laughs> there are so many blessings that come through the resurrection. Because if there's no resurrection, there would be no Pentecost. There'd be no church. There'd be nothing. Uh, but if there is, then there's so much. And there's two things I want to just leave with you and maybe tell a story or two. First is about the present. Well, I want to talk about the presence and the power of Jesus with us. Does the presence and the power of Jesus excite you, assure you, encourage you? Are you living with hope and confidence and enthusiasm? Uh, who knows about Horatius Boner? Anybody heard of him? He was a Scottish pastor, he was a poet, and he was a very prodigious hymn writer. In fact, he wrote thousands of hymns. Some of you may remember some. Glory be to God the Father. Anybody know that one? No. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me. No, I, I sung all of these. Rejoice and be glad, the Redeemer has come. Go look on his cradle, his cross and his tomb. Sound his praises, tell the story of him who was slain. Sound his praises, tell the story, he liveth again. Great song. You should sing it. <laughs> we can put it into modern English. Um, but you know, he also wrote poetry. And he wrote these words. Sometimes I catch a sweet glimpse of his face. But that is all. Sometimes he looks at me and seems to smile. But that is all. Sometimes he speaks a passing word of peace. But that is all. Sometimes I think I hear his loving voice. But that is all. And is this all he meant when thus he spoke? Come unto me. You sense the disappointment? Do you sense longing for something more? Only an occasional awareness of the presence, not convinced that Jesus approves of his lifestyle, not aware of him speaking, not sure that Jesus loves him. My question is, is that normal Christianity? I know it's in my experience at times. Do you know this week, I, and several times, I've sat down and I thought, I'll just turn the television on and see if there's anything. And that voice that he talks about there, straight away, God said, you could be doing something better, couldn't you? And I ignored him. I ignored the voice of God. And then I wonder, is this normal Christianity? Is it just moments of spiritual highs and inspiration and then moments of question and doubts? Or do you feel as that song that we used to sing, I don't know if you sung it here, there must be more than this? James Alexander Gordon, uh, Alexander Stewart wrote several books. One of them is Opened Windows. It's out of print now, I think. Um, it's a great book about revival. And he would say in his book, he would say that this is subnormal Christianity that um, <clears throat> Horatius Boner was speaking about. His other book is Heaven's Throne Gift. 
And it's all about the Holy Spirit. These are two of the best books on revival and the Holy Spirit. They were written a long, long time ago. I'd thought uh, James Alexander Stewart was just a, a Scottish Presbyterian minister who wrote a good book about Jesus. Then I discovered this. I discovered that he woke up one day and God said to him, go to Latvia and start a work there. And he said, I have, he's an evangelist at that point, and he, he had a long engagement, a lot of engagements in his diary, and he just got up and went to Latvia. And the first service, first church he preached in, the Holy Spirit came and revival came. And he preached all over Latvia, and he moved through lots of countries that are in West, Eastern Europe, in Hungary and Romania and Czechoslovakia as it was then. And wherever he went, revival followed. And it's just amazing. Dependence on the Holy Spirit should be the norm. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. The revival faith should be the norm. We think it's something different, something, I don't know. And this book on the Holy Spirit, it's very interesting because it's out of print, but inside it says that uh, Columbamos Community Library discarded and then Living Waters Christian Bookshop withdrawn and uh, withdrawn from Gamble something library. It, it seems like sometimes we do that, don't we? We discard the Holy Spirit in terms of what, all that he wants. And what was Jesus doing in those 40 days between his resurrection and ascension? What was he doing? Well, I'm not going to read it to you, but in Acts chapter 1 it tells, he showed himself many times to be a real resurrected human body. He gave them convincing proofs, presumably eating, letting them touch him, expounding the scriptures as he did on the Emmaus Road, and he, Paul probably got a lot of the material in 1 Corinthians 15 from those disciples that Jesus taught for 40 days and appeared to them. And it says he spoke of the kingdom, of God's rule breaking in on the world through his spirit-filled people. <coughs> oh, sorry. Maybe somebody can get me a drink of water, please. Um, <clears throat> he proved to his followers that he had no bounds no limitations, no restrictions. He was free to presence himself wherever and whenever he wished. And he established a new way of knowing Jesus. A way, thank you very much. A way that was not through the flesh, but through the spirit. Uh, is Jesus omnipresent? Was he, om he wasn't omnipresent before Pentecost, but I think he was omnipresent by his spirit afterwards. But this was the way that would be carried forward after his ascension, where it would be a matter of believing without seeing. That was to be the new norm. So he was preparing his followers for Pentecost and for them to carry on his mission. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. How did Jesus go? He went in the power of the Spirit. The first thing that happened, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He had a battle with, with Satan, but he won that battle on the cross. And yeah, the Holy Spirit would bring power to witness, power to transform, to produce Christ-likeness in their lives. Look at Peter 
and how Jesus transformed him. Look at John. He was called the, James and John, the sons of thunder. He was a big mouth. <laughs> For he was, read, the, read his letters, one two, one, two, and three, John, and his love and his love of Jesus. His joyful presence. <clears throat> you know, it wasn't the empty tomb that excited the disciples. When Peter and John ran there on the, Sunday, on, the, on the resurrection morning and looked into the tomb, they came out puzzled. And they went off and hid. It was the resurrection appearances that excited the disciples. Is it possible to know the joyful presence of Jesus with us? Yes. Duncan Campbell, who was used by God in the Hebridean revival, said that revival was a community saturated with the presence of God. Uh, in the Ulster revival, young men used to be marching, or marching, yes, literally marching in crowds of 30, 40, 50 young men singing, What's the News? And that song, What's the News, contained the whole gospel that they sang it. And it taught them, step by step, how to lead someone to Christ and how to disciple them in the next stage. It's all in the song. I was looking at it this week. Amazing. <clears throat> A reminder of, um, you know, what is normal? A reminder of Billy Graham. Um, when he went to visit a town to do an evangelistic crusade, he would always get a local paper and read it up to see if there's anything he could pass, comment on to his audience that would make them feel he was interested in them. So he got a newspaper in, he was in Bloomington, I think it was, wherever that is in America, and um, uh, he found uh, that Bloomington had two suburbs. One was called Oblong and the other was called Normal. And he thought, well, that's very interesting. And there was another little heading that he thought, I'll take that with me. So he went, and when he introduced him, when he was introduced and he began to introduce himself, uh, he started talking about Bloomington. He said, I found this wonderful um, uh, headline in the newspaper there. It says, Oblong Girl Marries Normal Man. <laughs> well, you laugh, but nobody laughed there. Because it was normal for them to know oblong people marrying normal man, <laughs> normal men. And, but you see, that what we, what is normal Christianity? It's not what we experience most of the time. I think God's plan for Adam and Eve was abnormal, and for mankind, and for you, and for me, to live joyfully, constantly, eternally. In his presence. That's God's plan for Adam and Eve and for every one of us. And they messed it up. And we mess it up. We are a kingdom people, but the fullness of the kingdom is not here yet. So we need to be constantly battling to let, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And everything else will be added on. That's when it becomes abnormal, maybe. Let's expect God's presence moment by moment. Let's expect his presence in surprising places and through unexpected but maybe abnormal people. Because we are an abnormal people. We have, the resurrection was an abnormal event for us. For God, normal. And ab resurrection thinking should become normal in our lives. Resurrected lives like Jesus, should be our normal. And that can be any one of you here. 
Keith Tonger, I heard him speaking once, he's the founder of Credit Action, a lovely Christian. He had a son who was born prematurely and severely mentally handicapped, so that he couldn't talk apart from saying mama and dada. At the age of six, he had to go into hospital with a hydroencephalus aha, for an operation. And the day before his op, a little boy in the bed beside him at Great Ormond Street Hospital was due to have heart bypass surgery, major surgery. And when they came to take this little boy to the theatre, his mother began to scream hysterically, my baby is going to die, my baby is going to die. And Keith said, and he's a very sincere and genuine Christian, he said, what do you do as a Christian in that situation? What words can you say? And he said, I, 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 didn't, I couldn't think of anything to say. And he said, then something happened, abnormal. Suddenly his son, who had never spoken a sentence in his life, sat up in his bed and said, pray Jesus, pray Jesus. And the whole ward went absolutely silent. God was present. And Keith's little boy then said, in Jesus' name, Amen. Needless to say, the little boy came through his operation safely. You and I, any one of us here, can be a bringer of God's presence and power. Paul writes about the incomparably great power for us who believe in Ephesians 1. And he says... That power is like, the, is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority. That's the great power for us who believe. Is that normal power? It's normal for God, but we tend to see it as abnormal or impossible to believe. But his abnormal becomes our normal in Christ. So that what we see as impossible becomes possible in him. Didn't Jesus say something about that? With God, all things are possible. So is it possible that we could trust his promises and confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins? And cleanse us from all, unright all unrighteousness? Is it possible? I hope you have said it is. You can respond if you want to. Is it possible to cast all our cares on him and be at peace in the middle of all the stresses and pressures of life? It is. Is it possible for our sinful thoughts and desires to be purified through faith in the Holy Spirit's power? It is. Is it possible to find the will of God in every situation and to find his will, as someone said, no longer a sigh, but a song? It is. Is it possible to be bold in our Christian witness and see lives transformed by the power of the gospel? It is. Is it possible to put off bitterness and anger and lies and unwholesome talk daily and hourly? It is. It is. It is. It's possible for you and for me 
through this Christ-raising power of God, it's possible to become completely strong at our weakest point. That's amazing. It is possible to find, to find his will a joy and the sense of his presence and sin-annulling power to be a delight in our lives. Hallelujah. They are possible through the Spirit's power because they are his work. And when the impossible happens, it should put us humbly on our knees, but also thirsty for more and more of his presence and power. Some of you are thinking, well, that's not me. I'm not anybody important. I'm not a VIP in the kingdom. I'm not a spiritual giant like John Wesley or Billy Graham or Nicky Gumbel or even your pastors. I shouldn't say, or even your pastors. And even your pastors. Is it possible that there's a future Billy Graham among us tonight? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about Benjamin Abbott. He lived between 1732 and 1796. He didn't become a Christian until he was 40, so um, he he didn't have many years as a Christian. But um, when he was 40, he became a Christian. Very soon, he became a Methodist Episcopal evangelist in America. He was illiterate. In fact, he was so illiterate that he once preached a sermon on the oyster man. Do you know about the oyster man? Well, you'll find him in Luke chapter 19, 21, where it says, For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. And he read, looked at austere and saw it as oyster. You laugh, but he preached with such power, even when he got it wrong, and such anointing that thousands became Christians through his 14 years of ministry. You see, it was the power of the Spirit. It wasn't even his intellectual ability or his reading skills. A lady in my church used to, when she phoned me up, she would say, hello, it's just me. And I said, no, it's not just you. It's a very special you, a very much loved child of God, a daughter of the King of Kings. You see, it's not who you are, but it's whose you are. You are his. I'm going to stop. Are you surrendered to him completely? Are you enjoying your Christian walk with Christ? Is it normal or abnormal? I can't, even, I can't remember now which one's the one I'm trying to promote. God's abnormal is our normal. We want that abnormal. You see... From the word go with the church, full of the Holy Spirit, very soon it went downhill with sin and disagreement, vision and so on. But that's not what God had planned. God had planned the revival activity of Pentecost to be the norm in his church. And we've got to work at that. And we've got to enjoy it. And we've got to be surrendered and be complete. And we've got to be, we should, you should come up here, Tim and I'm going to mince in a minute. Do you, do you hunger for more of the Spirit? Do you hunger? Are, some of you are a bit disappointed with Christ tonight, I feel. Someone said, uh, I think it was this man, Alexander, said, don't say, 
when you feel the Spirit saying something, I feel. He says, give the Spirit credit. See, See, I think the Spirit is saying, and I think the Spirit is saying that some here tonight are a bit disappointed with Christ, and there may be someone here who's disappointed with themselves in terms of their relationship with Jesus. And maybe we can minister to you.